Well, it's good to see you all this morning. I wonder if I could just begin with a question, and the question is basically, how are you? How, <laughs> how are you, right? How are you? You know, we ask that question, and sometimes we don't even expect an answer. We just kind of say it. But I'm not going to expect a, an audible answer, but uh, I'm asking the question because I'm interested in how you are, how are you doing? Do you know how you are? Are you prospering in the Lord? Scripture says, I would desire above all things that you would prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. So, of course, we're most interested in the prosperity of the soul. Last couple of, the last couple of Sundays, I brought you some things from a little bit different perspective. One of the reasons in doing that is to remind us all of the, of the many different voices that are being expressed. Whenever you hear something that comes from a different source, you know, what do you, how do you react to it? How do you adjust to it? What do you think with regards to it? Sometimes we're t- we, we have a tendency to receive and accept, and sometimes we have a tendency not to. And I just want to just uh, use those couple of weeks to uh, highlight what's going on in the larger picture. And so many different voices are being expressed. And people don't know sometimes just how to react to those different things that they hear, different things that are being said. And so this is one thing I want to bring to you this morning is um, the importance of not leaning to our own understanding on things, but in all our ways acknowledging Him and He will direct our paths. But it is to rely on Him. Even Jesus, when He became a human being, the Word became flesh. And it says uh, that He laid aside all the rights and dignities that He had as God. And so He laid those things aside and humbled Himself to become a human being. And I think the most important thing in a spiritual journey is to humble ourselves before the Lord, have an attitude of, being humble before Him and desiring that He would furnish our understanding and provide that understanding and not necessarily accepting or rejecting all the different voices that are being heard. It's not a question of that, but it's a question of what can we rely on? Well, I know what I can rely on and I know what I can recommend and that is to rely upon the Word. Scripture says the Word has the power to transform us save our soul, the engrafted word, which saves the soul. So the word has the power to bring about what it promises. And so um, it's a very simple thing. This morning I'm going to to go through a passage in Acts chapter 19 with you. And it's just an area of scripture that I've been reading in my personal reading. And I'm going to, uh, this morning, just do something as if I was just, this is kind of what I do when I read myself. So I'll just share that with you because I'm constantly recommending that we read the scriptures, that we get into the scriptures, that we read them, that we immerse ourselves in them. And all the other chatter and voices that are going on in the larger world, as interesting as all of those things may be, there is nothing that steadies the soul, nothing that Uh, contributes to the health and well-being of the soul except the Word of God. 
And you don't receive the word of God secondhand, third hand. You receive it yourself. And how do we receive it ourself is to open the pages of Scripture and read them and prayerfully read them. So that's what I propose to do with you for a few moments uh, this morning. Acts chapter 19. And I'm going to begin reading in verse number 1. It says that it came to pass that while Paul was at Corinth, I'm going to read from uh, largely from King James translation. It came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, that Paul, having passed through the upper coasts, he came to Ephesus. And finding certain disciples, he said unto them, Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? I'll just pause there for a moment. He found some disciples in Ephesus, Ephesians, Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus, Ephesians in the New Testament, has always been one of my favorite. You know, it's you say, well, do you have a favorite scripture? Do you have a favorite letter of the Apostle Paul? And one of the ones that has always contributed, let me say to me, in my own personal walk with the Lord, has been Ephesians. I love Ephesians. I've said many times, I just love Ephesians. Well, here it is. I mean, he came, he came to Ephesus. Later on, he would write a letter to the believers in Ephesus. And that's what we have in the Bible in the New Testament called Ephesians. One thing that's so important as we read, as we read the scriptures, how do you know whether or not what you believe is true? Let me just ask you that. And all these different things that are being said and the things you could hear, always, always been the case that Christians have reached out beyond their local assembly for information. That used to be in books and publications of various kinds. But today, as never before, information is so readily available by way of Internet and different things that we, we are inundated, if you like, with all kinds of information that does not um, originate in a local assembly. So... Much of what we receive, we receive comes from outside. Well, that's kind of good in one way, but it has risks associated with it. And one of the risks associated with that is that people then tend to become divided up based on the information that they tend to respond to favorably or positively, and others, no, 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 I'm not interested. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm thinking about this. So people are receiving from all kinds of different sources. We have to be careful. That's all I'm saying. We have to be careful. Do we pass legislation? Nobody can. No, of course not. But we have to be careful. And how do we know that what we are receiving is true? Well, I'll give you a very simple one. When you read the scriptures, when we read the scriptures, what happens? What happens in our life? Because there's various ways of reading the scriptures. We could read the scriptures and nothing would happen. Nothing. But we can also read the scriptures in a different way, the way in which we are intended. And if you notice, as you read God's word, and as you begin to process its meaning, and as the Holy Spirit reveals it to your spirit, then what will happen is the power and authority of that word will enter into your spirit, and it will begin to transform it and change it. And then what you'll notice 
is you'll notice your habits begin to change, your sensitivities begin to change, your conscience will become more sensitive, you become more serious, your priorities will come into a realignment, and all these things begin to change, and you say, well, how did that, where did that all come from? That comes from the power of the Word, and when those changes are occurring in your life, you know that you are receiving the truth. You know you're receiving the truth. But, on the other hand, if people find themselves and um, uh, the things that used to trouble them before they were saved are troubling them and they're finding they're having difficulty, uh, you know, even in their own thinking, their thought life, they're having difficulty with uh, the area of their desires. They know that they're desiring things that are inappropriate, but, you know, they're fighting with those things but they're just surrounded all the time with all kinds of information, something's wrong. It's very simple. This is one of the simplest things you could possibly imagine, is that God's Word has the power to transform the soul, the life, the interior life. And everything that we are and become and the way we act and all these kinds of things is a consequence of the power of that Word. So if I'm not being changed more and more into his likeness, more and more resembling his likeness, then there's something wrong. And what is wrong? It's that I'm not appropriating and receiving the word. It's not being engrafted into my life and transforming and changing me. So this is what I recommend always, without regard to all the different things that you may read or entertain or think about or on and on and on it goes. There is no substitute for you alone with the Bible. No substitute for you alone with the Bible. Well, does it have to be the Bible that I opened or can it be the Bible on my phone or iPad or something? It's the power of the Word. It's not the medium through which it comes. But it has to be the Word. But make sure the word is not coming through a third party all the time. Because the word doesn't have the same power coming through a third party as it does the Holy Spirit revealing the truth from the scriptures to you. That's the way it is. So this is what is indispensable. Could I just say it this way? I don't believe you could ever find in the history of the church a believer who's walking consistently with the Lord and who's growing in grace and the admonition of the Lord and whose life is being transformed by the authority of Christ who does not have a personal, regular communion with the Word of God, with the Scriptures in which the Holy Spirit reveals the truth to the soul, the interior life. That's what it is. That's what it is. All the rest of it of listening to sermons and Bible teachers and all of these kinds of things, that's all good and so on. But nothing replaces that. Nothing. Even when you're listening to Bible teachers and preachers, how do you know whether what you're listening to is good or not? How do you know? You don't know. So what you do know is, when you're on the right track, your life is going to be transformed more and more to be like Christ Jesus. And... I don't have to belabor that point. We know what this means. And so uh, 
or during the past week or so, I've been reading, and my reading has taken me largely in the book of Acts. And so this is where I'll begin again with you this morning. So Paul comes to Ephesus and says he finds certain disciples. It's kind of interesting because, well, how did they become disciples of Jesus and so on? In Ephesus, Paul is just arriving there. So he said to, to them, he said, did you receive, have you received the Holy Ghost? Now, this is kind of interesting. Since you believe. Now, <laughs> you see what happens is, Translators in the King James said, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? So you'll have all kinds of denominational perspective that will say that receiving the Holy Ghost is always a work of grace subsequent to your initial salvation. But many of the translators, in fact, most say, have you received the Holy Ghost when you believed? That makes a difference. It makes a difference in the way you understand it. But realize now that there are favorite, this is one of the reasons I like to study the scriptures from different translations, is because there's um, there's kind of a, I don't want to say a prejudice or a bias or a preference that's kind of built in sometimes with certain kinds of translations. But it does happen. So the idea here largely is, did you receive the Holy Ghost when you believed? Of course, some in this one says, since you believed. And they said unto him, we have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. Now, isn't that interesting? They've never heard of the Holy Ghost. And so Paul said unto them, and in this Bible it says, unto what then were you baptized? Most of the translations again will say, into what then were you baptized? Which is more reasonable? Because the idea of in baptism being baptized, and whenever the word is used, it always means immersion. It always means what were you placed into? Because that's what the word baptize means. It means to be placed into. So he said to, to them, he said, well, what? Into what then were you baptized? The uh, complete Jewish Bible puts it this way, and I like it. It says, into what were you immersed? Into what were you immersed? Now, when someone is immersed into something, they have to, there, there's, there, of course, there is that into which they are placed and immersed, right? And there's always someone who places them there. And those two are very important here. So Paul's saying, well, what were you placed in? What were you baptized in? Into what were you immersed? If you haven't heard of the Holy Spirit, if you haven't heard of the Holy Ghost, well, Paul always taught that it's the Holy Spirit who places you in Christ Jesus. The Holy Spirit. We're all baptized into one body. It's the Holy Spirit who baptizes you into that one body. And that one body is Christ. So they haven't heard that there's a Holy Spirit. And so he says, into what then were you immersed? And they said unto him, into John's baptism. And then said Paul, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him, which should come after him, that is, on Christ. So this idea that they had, they were partially, they had a partial understanding of the coming of Messiah, but it was very incomplete. It says that when they heard this, they were baptized or immersed into the name of the Lord Jesus. 
Now, the only one who does this is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit places that believer who has repented, who has experienced repentance and, repentance and faith, and the Holy, Holy Spirit places that person into Christ Jesus, into the church. And they, hadn't even, they didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit. Therefore, they were deficient in their experience. So they were now baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ or into the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, now that that's occurred, what comes next? It says, and when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came on them and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. Now this would be the baptism of Jesus where he baptizes into the Holy Spirit in baptismal measure. So a person is baptized, they're baptized in water where they're placed into the water. It's an indication and an outward testimony of, of repentance and life change. It pictures death and resurrection. It's absolutely essential and very, very important to be baptized in water. It witnesses to the world our identification with Christ Jesus, that we have died to our old manner of living and have been raised again to an entirely new manner of living, a new creation in Christ Jesus. When that occurs on repentance and faith, the Holy Spirit then immerses us into Christ Jesus, into the body of Christ. We become members one of another. But the awesome experience that is began on Pentecost is the baptism of Jesus. Jesus didn't baptize people in water. His disciples did, but he didn't. John said the baptism that Jesus baptized with was a baptism that he needed. John the Baptist said, I need to be baptized with the baptism that you baptize with. He will baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire, he said. Now this began to occur on the day of Pentecost, and this is what happens now when the Apostle Paul now he, this is the apostle. This is an apostolic authority. This is apostolic authority. This is the apostle Paul. I mean, the persecution that he was subjected to, the rejection from his own people, the Jewish people, was so extreme. This man was harassed from place to place. He would leave one place because of extreme persecution, go to another the people would find out the Jews who were harassing him. Oh, he's gone to Thessalon, let's say. Oh, he, he's gone to Thessalon. Then they, they all run down to Thessalon and stir up all the rowdy people. Do you know any rowdy people that live in Thessalon? They stir up all the rowdy people. My apologies to Thessalon. And, and then begin to persecute the apostle. So then he goes to Blind River. And they all rush down to Blind River and stir up animosity against them in Blind River and create and fabricate all these things about how awful his influence is. He's serving the Lord Jesus Christ. He's an apostle of Christ, special messenger. But he is harassed like this from place to place. He has apostolic authority as an apostle of Christ. And he has the authority that when he lays his hands and where does this authority come? This authority comes from Jesus, from the Lord Jesus. And when he laid his hands on them and prayed with them, Jesus baptized them into the Holy Spirit 
in the same experience that began to occur on the day of Pentecost. And it says, and they uh, spoke with tongues, they began to speak in languages they had never learned. And they began to prophesy or speak forth under inspiration the word of God. This is marvelous. These are marvelous things. And all the men were about 12, these believers in Ephesus, about 12. He says he went into the synagogue. These are where all the Jews are. He went into the synagogue and he spoke boldly for the space of three months. So he went into the synagogue and speaking under this authority and inspiration of the Holy Spirit and he's, and he's uh, opening the scriptures to them and uh, reading the scriptures and talking to them about the meaning and how it is fulfilled in Christ Jesus and how that Jesus has already come and who he was and what he did and all these things and interspersing his own personal testimony from time to time into how he met the Lord and all these things. Powerful presentation. Wouldn't you like to have been there and heard it? Well, you say, well, everybody would accept it. When they heard the Apostle Paul preach under this tremendous anointing, everybody would be swept, you know, into the kingdom of God by that. He spoke to them this way in the synagogue for about three months. It says, uh, disputing and persuading the things concerning the kingdom of God the kingdom of God is de- has to do with the government of God. And a lot of this kingdom of God has to do with future and what's about to happen and what's coming and the return of Jesus and all of these things. So he would talk about all these things. And everybody likes to talk about uh, the future and about prophecy and about what's coming, right? What's up ahead? And this is all he would talk about these things concerning the kingdom of God. It says, but when divers or various ones were hardened, and this is what always happens whenever the word of God is presented under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, is that some will be tenderized by it and others will be hardened. There's no neutral ground. Uh, The ones who are tender and receive it, it has the power to transform them. The ones who reject it, it has the power to harden them. It hardens them. And when it says God would harden the heart of Pharaoh, it's because it's the consequence of rejecting God's truth and word is a hardness of heart. And there are some who have rebelled against God's word to them, who have come to the place where they're insensitive to it and can't hear it. And there are many in that condition today. It's a horrible condition to be in. But it's a condition that is a consequence of rejection. The Holy Spirit will bear patiently with people who are hungry for the truth and not certain about what that truth is. But as long as the person says, oh, I want to know the truth and I must know the truth, but I have to be persuaded that it is the truth. So as long as a person is uh, sincere and honest and says, as the truth is revealed to me, I will walk in it, the Holy Spirit will bear patiently with that person. But when a person begins to reject it, 
because they don't want it. They want it to be some other way. Then they will become hardened. And these, many of these Jews in the synagogue after three months became hardened. And they refused to believe. And they began, when, they, when they became hardened like that and refused to believe, see, when, the, when, when your spirit, when the spirit of a human being is tender towards God, then the understanding and the intellect is capable of receiving and, and, and seeing the truth of God. But when the heart becomes hard, then the intellect up here sees all the little things, inconsistencies. Oh, but this one said that and this one said the other. And they find all these reasons not to believe intellectually. That's what these men did in the synagogue. And when that happened to them, it says, it says they spoke evil of the way before the multitude. In other words, they began to criticize the teachings of the Apostle Paul before everyone in the synagogue. And so when that happened, he departed from them. Paul departed from them and separated the disciples from them. And then he began to teach daily in the school of one Tyrannus. And this continued by the space of two years. So that all they which dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. But he's moved from the synagogue and he's relocated in the, in the house uh, uh, of one school of one named Tyrannus. And from there he's able to preach and speak to all those who will come. But he's come away from the synagogue because they have rejected it and speak evil of it. It says now, now we come to, a, after all this controversy and all this kind of thing, and some people are don't know what to believe, whether to believe the Jewish leaders. They've been raised as, since they were children to respect the leaders of the Jewish that were set up over them, and now they're not sure what to think. Now we come to a period of time in Ephesus where it says that God wrought special miracles. And this is very important. Some of these uh, things that we read about in the book of Acts, these miracles were very special events. And what does that mean? It means they don't happen all the time. It means they're relatively rare. It means that when they happen, God causes them to occur and he does it for a reason, in his own reason, his, his own providence. So we're coming to a period in Ephesus now. There needs to be a vindication of the truth. There needs to be a presentation of, of things and a manifestation so that the truth that has been spoken will be vindicated before all the people so they may not contradict. And all those who are contradicting that their mouths would be silenced. And what were these special miracles? It says, so that from his body were brought unto the sick handkerchiefs or aprons, and the diseases departed from them, and the evil spirits went out of them. These are special miracles. And woe to anyone who thinks that all we have to do to raise money is to start doing these things. Woe to them. These are special miracles. This is holy ground here. It says, then certain of the vagabond Jews. Now here we come to it here. These Jews, they see all this manifestation through the apostle and they observe him and they hear what he says to people and how he conducts himself 
and how evil spirits are cast out. And these are vagabond Jews. That means that they travel from place to place and they raise money this way and they earn a pretty good living this way by taking advantage of people. And so they're called exorcists. They took upon them to call over them which had evil spirits the name of the Lord Jesus. Saying, and this is what they would say, as we adjure you by Jesus whom Paul preaches. And they would cast out evil spirits, you see, from people. But their motives are evil and wrong. And they're trying to take advantage of the popularity and the manifestation of the Holy Spirit and special miracles through the Apostle Paul. So that they could be advantaged. And so... uh, It says there were seven sons of one Siva, a Jew, and chief of the priests which did so. So there was one of the chief priests who had seven sons. This chief priest's name was Siva. He had seven sons, and they did this. They traveled around from place to place. And they tried to use the name of Jesus, the Jesus whom Paul preaches. It says, and when they did this, The evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know and Paul I know, but who are you? I don't know you. I know Jesus and I know Paul. I don't know you. And the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them and overcame them and prevailed against them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded, all seven of them. He basically overpowered all seven of them and whipped them, you might say, tore off their clothing And they just get out of there by the, I mean, they escaped. Naked and wounded. It says, and this was known to all the Jews and Greeks also dwelling at Ephesus. And God now is vindicating the truth. He always does this. It says, and fear fell on them all. And the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. And many that believed came and confessed and showed their deeds. This is now a real genuine work of God. Many that believed came, confessed, and showed their deeds. Many of them also which used curious arts or were involved in the occult and spiritualism. They all came and they confessed. And they brought their books together, the things that they had read and studied having to do with the occult. And they burned them before all men. And they counted the price of them, all the stuff that they burned. They counted the price and found it to be 50,000 pieces of silver. It says in verse 20, so mightily, and I'll close with this, my thoughts with you on this passage by reading this verse 20. So mightily grew the word of God and prevailed. Mightily grew the word of God and prevailed. That's our desire. That the word of God would be manifested and grow mightily and that it would prevail. The Word of God would prevail and that it would prevail within our interior life and be manifested out through the way we talk, the way we act, the way we conduct ourselves. So let me close with this uh, recommendation is to be faithful. Be faithful to the Lord in the place that He has called you. Be faithful. And while you're being faithful to Him, and that means to do all the things that He has caused you to know that you should do, 
and to refrain from all those things that he has caused you to know that you should leave and refrain from. And then let the word, by daily uh, placing yourself in it, read it yourself, prayerfully ask the Holy Spirit to reveal it to you. And let the word prosper in you. Let the word prosper in you. Transforming, enlightening your mind and your understanding and changing you in ways you're not even aware of. And somebody might say to you one day, I notice a change in you, but you're not really after that. You're not trying to do something to create people or to have people come and say things. But sometimes that might happen. They say, I notice a change. How do you explain the change? And you're not even aware, maybe, of the change. And you might say, oh, I don't know. I'm just... I know I'm really spending more time in the Word than I have previously. Oh, it'll always happen that way. Always happen that way. It's amazing the number of people who don't do that and who just glean from third hand, second hand information from different things like tapes or books or you name it. And I'm just saying all that stuff is to be on the outside. It really is. Keep it on the outside. What's on the inside is you open the pages of Scripture and read them, asking the Holy Spirit to reveal the truth to you. Then the Word will prosper in you. And when the Word prospers in you, guaranteed now, the Word will prosper through you. That's what happened with the Apostle Paul. That's what will happen with you and me because that's the way the Word is designed and that's the way we are designed.